to In the Word with Pastor Don Haskins, where we open up the Bible to see what God's Word says and how it might apply to our lives. Our prayer is that you allow Jesus to change you from the inside out. And now, today's lesson. Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writing, he says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who, who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him also consider this in himself, that just as he is in Christ, even so we are Christ's. For even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, Paul's letters, they say, are weighty and they're powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, when we are absent, such we will also be indeed when we are present. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves, they're not wise. We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not extending ourselves beyond our sphere, thus not reaching you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is, in other men's labors, but having hope. That as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. To preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in this, in the Lord. For not he who commends himself is approved, but whom the Lord commends. And Father, right here we have some very direct words in our hearts, in our own lives. I know that these words were penned to a church many years ago in Corinth. But even as we look at this passage today, hopefully and prayerfully, every one of us saw ourselves in this in some capacity or another. I pray, Lord, that as we get in and dig into this chapter today, that, Lord, we would be able to leave this place today after the few moments that we spend in your word, that we would leave today knowing that you've spoken to us individually. Lord, it's always a neat thing when you speak, and, and Lord, I, I know me when I listen. I, I think of so many other people that that message was intended for. 
Oh, if this person was only here. Oh, if that person were only could hear this message. It would totally fit what it is that they're going through. And while that's not necessarily a bad thing, it is a bad thing when I forego what you're trying to say to me in the midst of the direct message. Lord, help me to open my heart up. Help us to open our hearts up to what you want to share with us individually. You do a change in us, Lord, however you desire to make a change in us. You strengthen those areas that need strength. You cut down those things in our life that we have been hindered by. Remove them, Lord, from our life. May we be battle-ready soldiers for you. In love with our commander-in-chief, you, O Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would change us, you would touch us, you would minister to every single need that's in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Paul has spent a couple of books, a couple of letters to the Corinthians. Um, being at times harsh with them. Speaking to them and correcting them in areas. And, and they, they have heard, they have responded very well at times, and, they, and yet there are still some contentious issues that are going on. There's still a, a, a group of uh, rebel rousers within the church that are causing uh, discord. And, and having a problem there and, and causing confusion in the, in the sheep, amongst the sheep. Paul is writing, and, and if you were to look at chapter, or 1 Corinthians, you know, all of it, and then look at 2 Corinthians, um, up to where we are today, um, if you were to look at the first nine chapters of 1 Corinthians, um, there are those that will look at and see and, and say that 2 Corinthians actually is probably or possibly could be, could plausibly be actually two letters of Paul's uh, mixed into one. And they would say that the reason they would say that is that through verses or through chapters one all the way through chapter nine, Paul gave some harsh rebukes. He gave some harsh corrections. He then talked about in chapters uh, eight and nine, he talked about giving. But at the very end of his giving, you know, he, he talked about some corrections and then he talked about how they were to give. And then he ended chapter nine with that very last verse. Thanks be to God for his, indes- his indescribable gift, for his indescribable gift. And so um, there are those that will say that that probably was an end or, or plausibly or possibly this was the end of Paul's uh, second letter, which actually, as you remember, would have been his third letter. And possibly, you know, the, 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 the problem is, is that Paul kind of culminates with that very last verse in chapter 9, he's, it's kind of like his benediction. It's his, you know, pat on the back and say, hey, guys, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. But then Paul goes back in and he spends the next three uh, chapters, four chapters, 10, 11, 12, and 13, four chapters, and he really gets in heavy. He gets back in and he hits them hard again. 
He comes back in and he reveals some areas that they need to address. And today he is dealing with some issues of some people that are in the church that are basically coming down on him and his words and coming down on his ministry. Um, and as it is, and we see even in the political realm, we see it, maybe not even just in the political realm, we can see it a little bit more uh, evident over the last year or so in the political realm. But we also know people, and we may be, be those people, uh, and if you are, you need this is one of those days that you need to really bring it before the Lord and ask God to take this kind of an attitude or this type of a characterization away from you. And that is that, as they said, you know, Paul's letters are, are weighty. Um, verse 10, he, his letters are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. So I want you to get this picture of Paul. Paul literally means little. <laughs> if you knew, if, if you know that the, the description, the actual definition of of the name Paul means little, and many will look at that and say, "Well, Paul didn't he change his name from Saul to Paul? Paul being little, wouldn't that be kind of an indication that Paul was seeing himself as little in the eyes of the Lord?" Well, yeah, you could say that, and that wouldn't necessarily be a far stretch. But Paul might just be little. He just might be a small little guy. Uh, but also his speech is contemptible. And I, so I don't know what a contemptible speech would be other than it would be maybe the inflection of his voice, maybe be the, the tone of his voice, maybe the speed in which he speaks. Can you imagine if he spoke like this? I'm Paul. I'm talking a bit. Here. It's by the grace of God. You know, and you go, ah, ah. And, and, and they're sitting there going, Paul. You're a little dude. You got a little high squeaky voice. Got a high squeaky voice. No, I hope I don't put that in. Uh, Paul's probably going to punch me in heaven. I did not have that voice. And you put that in their in their minds, you know. Uh, I didn't. You're, I, maybe he had a Spicoli voice. Uh, no, not really. He didn't. He didn't. Let's, <laughs> dudes, Jesus is real. And you need to know him. And his father's got an awesome set of tools that can work in your life. You know. but, but here, I don't know how Paul's voice was. I don't know how Paul's voice was. Could be high, could be fast, could be... I don't know how it was. But these guys, they took it and said, Oh, man, your, your, your letters that you write us, they're powerful, man. But when you come and show up and start talking to us, with that voice and your stature and how you look. You're just a teeny little weeny guy that doesn't have a very good voice. And there is what happens. We're not going to address what it is that you say. We're going to attack on how you look and how you sound. We know that there are people, as I said, in the political realm that will say, Oh, he looks ugly. Look at his hair. He doesn't even know. What does this hair have to do with anything? What are his policies? Let's talk about policies. I'm, I know that I'm just talking about Trump because he's like the big thing that's out there right now. I don't, I don't care if you like him or don't like him. Don't talk about his hair. Who cares about his hair? 
Who cares about the hair? It, it's not a big deal. And, 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 and so, maybe in an argument, as you get into a dialogue with somebody that turns into an argument or turns into a heated dialogue, when you get to a point where you have nothing else to add, are you one of those that go, well, yeah, well, you're bald and you're fat. I am. But the truth remains the truth, regardless of how I look, right? I mean, it, putting me down and how I look doesn't add or take away from this conversation other than it shows your intelligence. You lack in that area, or you stop to, 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 to consider an actual dialogue or an intellectual or a, a, a comprehensible dialogue here. You begin to attack an appearance, and that's what they're doing to Paul. His, his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Hey, let this person, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters, that we are, when we're absent, hey, such will we also be indeed when we're present. Is that what you want? Paul says here in this letter, I, I, I hope that we get this under control so that when I do come, I don't have to be harsh with you. I don't want to be harsh with you. I want it to be cleaned up. I want things to be right so that when I come, it's joyful. It's a time where we can enjoy one another's company. It's a time where I can pour into you Christ and I can, I can help you to mature and I can help you grow to become the man or the woman that God desires you to be. Let's get beyond the contentiousness. Let's get beyond the contentions and the problems that we have. And let's, let's get beyond it. Let's, let's deal with them here in a letter so that when I do come, I don't have to stand behind a pulpit and really get down on you. Let this letter be enough. But obviously it's not enough for some of you. And so I will have to come. You're asking me to come with a, a harsh word. I'll do it. I'll do it. Paul says, and I know I'm starting in the middle of the chapter. I'm going to go backwards because I have some things I want to share. You know, in verse 12, he says, listen, um, we do not dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. So it's obvious that there are those that are saying, well, look, I speak better than Paul. I have, I'm a better orator. My bodily presence is much more handsome. <laughs> I'm tall, dark, and handsome. And my voice is at a decibel that everybody can handle, right? I should probably be the one that is talking to you. You know, Paul, and, and he's saying, listen, they begin to compare themselves to one another. I, I, I'm a better speaker than this guy or, or you know, and they begin to look at each other and they begin to compare themselves one to another. Paul says, that's, if you're one of those people that compare yourself with another individual, you're always going to be chasing a dangling carrot that you'll never catch. If you're constantly looking at, man, I, I'm just not as spiritual as that person, or I'm, I'm just not as talented in, in, in this area as that person, or I'm just not as well-versed in the Bible as that person, or I, I can't speak, or I'm not as comfortable talking to people as that person, and, and I want to become, and you begin to compare yourself to other people all the time, what's going to happen is that you're going to find yourself in a constant state of depression, because you're never going to catch up to everybody. 
You know, it's in the mind of a child. I remember talking to Nathan, you know, back when he was growing up. You know, when you got into that, that, that age as a little boy that you think, that, you know, your punch can just take out everybody, you know? You think that you're invincible? And, and you know, there's other people that are faster than you or smarter than you or stronger than you. And I was talking to him one day and I'm going, you know, there's always going to be somebody stronger than you or faster than you or smarter than you. There's always going to be somebody like that. But you don't have to be who they are. You have to be who Jesus has called you to be. That was my lesson. He didn't take it. Uh-uh. Uh-uh, I'm faster. <laughs> no, you're not. You're not smarter either. Uh-huh. I am too. <laughs> no, you're not. Let's race right now, dude. I'm going to show you. I'm faster than you. I needed that for my own affirmation. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. No, but, but you know, you get to that place. I'm sorry. You get to that place where you, you think you're invincible and that you're... No, there's always somebody bigger. Always somebody better. And you go, but, but wait a minute. That, that dies out somewhere because there's always... You say that there's always somebody more wealthy than another person. Well, there has to be the person who has all the wealth. Or there's somebody that's more beautiful or more handsome well, there has to be that person that's the most handsome or the most beautiful. Most beautiful, my wife. Here's the thing. In the eye of a beholder, it's, it's totally different. The thing is, is, in the eye of the Lord, who are you? Who are we? Are you the best you that God has called you to be? I don't want to start getting into a Joel Osteen type of message, but I want you to understand. Is this, are you who God's called you to be? Are you the best you? Man, that's a, that's a message. That's a book title right there. Are you the best you that God had intended you to be? But you know what? There's truth to that. There's truth to that. Are you the man or the woman that God's called you to be? Don't compare yourself with everybody else. Oh, but I'm never going to be. I don't care what everybody else is going to be. You be you. You be the best person that God has called you to be. You be the most talented person that God has called you to be. And be satisfied and content with where you are. Paul says, I'm content in all things, whether I'm wealthy or whether I'm poor, whether I'm, you know, filled with food or whether I'm hungry. I've learned to be content in all manner. Why? Because I'm serving the Lord. And if today he feels that I need to be hungry, then I'll be hungry. If today he feels that I need to be filled, then so I'll be filled. I can be content in all manner of life because if I'm living for the Lord, it doesn't really matter what everybody else does. It doesn't really matter what everybody else has. It doesn't really matter how much people have or how little people have. It doesn't matter how many clothes they have or what kind of cars they drive or what kind of house that they have. What kind of luxuries or what kind of trips or what kind of, you know, special events that they get to. Those aren't the important things in life. Doesn't make you a bad person if you have all those things. Hey, you could be serving the Lord and have all those things and awesome. That's great. But you also might be serving the flesh and getting those things too. I would rather sit under somebody who, who has things or doesn't have things but is serving the Lord and satisfied in the skin that God has given to them. 
Remember Pastor Chuck many years ago say, you know, you, you, I think of a, a young woman that looks in a mirror and she goes, I'm so ugly, I hate, I hate myself. I'm so ugly. And he says, you don't hate yourself. Because if you hated yourself, you'd be happy that you were ugly. Steve and I laughed at that. That that was funny to me. Here's the thing. You don't hate yourself. You actually love yourself. You actually want what's best for you. That was the context in what he was talking about. That's the context of what Paul's talking about. Don't commend yourself to men. Commend yourself to God. That's what he's saying. We don't dare class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. They're measuring themselves by themselves, verse 12, and, and comparing themselves among themselves. They're not wise. It's not wise to do that, gang. It's not wise to compare yourself to somebody else. Oh, I'm reading the Bible more than they are. Oh, pride. Knock it off. Oh, I'm witnessing more. Stop it. Just stop. Stop doing that. Quit comparing yourself to other people. Because maybe you are witnessing more than another person. Oh, I give, I give thousands of dollars to the church. That person only gives a couple hundred. Stop it. That person may be giving more according to his own percentage of his salary than you are. And you're proudful? Oh, but you don't understand. If I gave the percentage that he gave, it would be this much. And what? You don't trust the Lord with that money. You trust the Lord with his money or her money, but not yours? That doesn't make sense. That just doesn't make sense. Don't compare yourself to other people. Are you doing what God's called you to do? Peter, there's coming a day, Jesus said, when they're going to take you where you don't want to go. Thereby signifying about what death Peter would have, the Bible says. What was Peter's response to Jesus? Wow, what kind of death is that going to be? Wow, Lord, are you going to give me the strength to, to get through that? Lord, would you give me the power to do whatever it, I need to do in order to accomplish and fulfill the purpose that you have for my life. Is that what he says? Not at all. What's the first thing that comes out of Peter's mouth? Well, what about John? What about that guy? Why do I have to go? What about him? <laughs> and Jesus says, what is it to you, Peter, if I will that he is alive when I come back? What is it to you if that if I so will John to be alive when I return. Peter, you follow me. You do what I'm calling you to do. There's where you're going to find happiness. Happiness will always elude you and joy will always elude you if you're trying to compare yourself with someone else. But if you look to Jesus, I can guarantee you that I can promise every single one of us this. If we seek God's face on a day-by-day basis and say, Lord, what is it that you would have for me to do to do today? Empower me to do it, and Lord, help me to live it and help me to be content in what it is that you have for me today. That could be, you could might be in prison, falsely accused in prison. Just like Joseph. Sold by his brothers, falsely accused of rape and thrown into prison. 
If there ever was a guy to be angry and discontented with this world and God's plan for his life, it's that guy. And yet while he's in prison, he's sitting in there and he's just serving Jesus, serving God. Jesus wasn't alive at the time. Well, he was, but he was God the Son. And Let's not get into theological discussion on that. But here's the thing. He was serving the Lord. He's in there ministering to people. And telling them, hey, this is, these dreams, yeah, hey, this is what the Lord is sharing with you. He's witnessing. He's witnessing in prison. And these guys, you remember the butler and the baker? Yeah. That's right. You know, the, the butler got out of prison, you know, was lifted up and brought back out of prison. Uh, the baker, on the other hand, got his head lifted off of him. Both of them took the king off. But one of them was restored to his position. The other one had his head taken off. But Joseph had given the same, he'd, he'd given the interpretation of their dreams. He was serving the Lord in the midst of a horrible condition. He wasn't even in his own land. I don't even know you people. I've been sold into this land. I don't know you guys. I've had to learn your language. I've had to live among you. I've been discarded by my brothers. Those that should be the closest people to me. I miss my dad. I don't even know what they've told my dad. And here I am in prison. Falsely accused of raping a woman I wanted nothing to do with because it would be an offense before God. Even in his slavery he was trying to serve the Lord. And he was doing living his life on a day by day basis in order to please God. Even in his time of slavery. So much so that he blessed Potiphar's home to where Potiphar loved this slave, falsely sold into slavery, brutally by his brothers. If anybody had an opportunity to be disgruntled, it's Joseph. And yet Joseph, he goes into the house of Potiphar and he blesses the house. He goes in there and he, sir, what is it that you'd have me to do? All right, boom, boom, boom. And he does it. Hey God, you have me here. What am I going to do here? I'm not going to sit here disgruntled and depressed. I'm going to do what you've called me to do. I'm going to live my life for you today. And so he does. And as he does, Potiphar sees the value in Joseph and elevates him to the second most powerful man in his own home. So much so that Joseph says, listen to Potiphar's wife. Your husband has given me free reign over everything except for himself and you. You're the only two things I don't have reign over. How could I ever possibly do this thing against God? <laughs> I, I love the way that he looked at life. He said, your, your husband gave me this stuff. How could I ever do this against, not Potiphar, he doesn't even say Potiphar. How could I possibly do this against God? How could I ever do this against God? I can't do that. Sleep with me or you're going to go to jail and I'll go to jail. He went to jail and he continued to serve the Lord. The end of his life. We, we know that, don't we? We know what he said at the end of the life, of his life, when he, God saved all of Israel, his brothers and his dad. He got to see them all again. Joseph being the second most powerful man in the world at the time. In the known world there ever was an opportunity for him to take retribution on his brothers, he could have done it. And they were afraid. After his father died, they were afraid. Didn't they go to him and say, Hey, Joseph, uh, listen, while your dad was alive, they even called him your dad. 
Not our dad, your dad. When your father was alive, he, you know, he, 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 he wanted to make sure that you didn't hurt us and kill us when he died. And Joseph cries and he goes, are you kidding me? After everything we've been through, do you really think I'm going to kill you? What you meant for evil, God meant for good. To save many alive this day. I wouldn't have chosen this life, but God chose it for me and it, it turned out well. It turned out well for him. I missed out on a lot of my life, I agree. But you know what? It was necessary to fulfill the plan that God had for my life. That's what Joseph was saying when he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. That's what he was saying. God had a better plan. He had a different plan for my life. And I'm, I'm good with that. I'm good with that. I'm, I, I, I've come to peace with that. Can you come to peace with that in your life? I don't have everything that I want. Well, you know what? That's okay. Maybe the Lord has you in this place right now to be content today. Maybe he has what you want in the future. I don't know. But can you be content for the rest of your life to serve him? I remember I was talking to somebody just recently. Uh, I can't remember who it was. It was probably somebody in this room. Um, where I was talking about flying back when I was flying. And, and I remember there was a time where I had just done so much. It was before I got married. I was flying and I had done so much. And I, God had taken me to some awesome places. I got to see some awesome things. And there was one time where I was flying back from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. I was on a deadhead flight. I was just by myself. Didn't have anybody else in the airplane with me. I'm flying around, I don't know, 10, 12,000 feet. Came out of the mountains of Utah, you know, passing through Utah. As I'm in Utah, you know, passing through there as uh, um, I'm passing through Utah, coming out of Wyoming, back towards California, I'm flying and, and I'm flying with what they call VFR rules, visual flight rules, where I, you're supposed to be able to see everything. You're supposed to maintain a certain distance from clouds up high you know, and below and side to side. You know, and, and you're supposed to maintain this certain type of a distance. But because I was out there on my own, and I was on what they call flight following, where I had uh, control. Um, I think it might have been um, um, Salt Lake uh, Control. They they had my airplane on radar, and so they could see if any other airplanes were around me, and they would notify me if there was another airplane around. But what they can't see are how many clowns are around me. And so I'm flying, and I'm just I'm just messing around. It was a summer day. I'm just having a blast, and I'm just kind of cruising around, and I'm flying right in the right just kind of just taking these clouds that are just huge, just massive clouds. And I'm cruising along and I'm, I'm just flying around them and I'm getting real close to them and everything. And I came upon this one area where these massive billow of clouds is going up this way and another one's coming up this way and, and then another cloud layer kind of coming up in front of me. And so everything was kind of converging this way. And I was flying. They call those things sucker holes, you know, because that's usually how people end up dying who don't know how to fly in instrument conditions. But I, I had that. I understood how to do that. But here's the thing. I see that hole and I'm going, this would be cool. Can I get to that hole before all these clouds converge? And it's probably eight, ten miles in front of me. And I'm just cruising. You know, I'm, I'm pounding through 220 miles an hour, you know, in my plane, cruising along wings and and it's i can see it's just so bright on the other side but it's starting to get dark it's dark and and now as the clouds are getting closer all of a sudden the clouds are going by so fast you begin to see how fast you're going when you're real close to something 
you begin to see the measure of your speed. You can see how fast you're going. And you get there, and all of a sudden, it's like this crescendo of music kind of going on in my head. You're going, and everything starts getting faster. You're going, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? And I go, and I'm, I kid you not, the, the, the mountain of clouds coming up to hit me and the mountain of clouds coming into side to side, they're coming right in here to the point where as I'm reaching the end, I'm going, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? The clouds had covered this wingtip and my, the other wingtip, I had the clouds going through the wingtips as I'm going and all of a sudden, boom, I busted out right through that little hole. And it's like, boom, and there was like a 70 mile, 80 mile bowl of puffy clouds that were just a bowl that was in Salt Lake City area. And it was just this beautiful, and the sun was down on it, and it blinded my eyes. I mean, it was just so bright. I'm going from dark and fast. I'm just going, I am the only person that has ever seen this picture. And I'm the only person that's ever going to see this exact picture that I'm seeing right now. And God, you are amazing. It's amazing. And it was at that time that God allowed me to see that, that I talked to the Lord on the plane. I'm going, you know, you've let me do a lot in life. You've let me see an experience of lot. I've gone overseas. I've gone, to, oh, I've gone all over the place. I've been able to go so many different places. Lord, if there's not one more blessing you put on my life, I have enough. And I will serve you. I have enough and I will serve you. Um, God has blessed me since then a lot. And I don't fly anymore, right now at least. I don't see those things. But you know what? Have you ever gotten to a place in your life where you go, Lord, whatever it is that you want, I'm willing. For the rest of my life to live in this place, if you take everything away from me, it is enough. That my salvation is enough. Everything that you've done in my life that you've allowed me to witness, everything that you've allowed me to see, everything that you've allowed me to experience, it is enough. You owe me nothing. And you have given me so much. I will serve you no matter what. Even in poverty. That's why we, we, we say those things when you get married. Enrich, you know, in riches and poor. In sickness and in health. Yeah. And And... When you make a vow like that, it's great because it's a great day and everything's going your way for that day. But when sickness or wealth start to dwindle to a catastrophic place, that's where so many marriages, they give up on the vows. Can I say that they gave up on the Lord before they gave up on those vows? They gave up on the Lord because they weren't pleased with what God had for them. Are you willing to live for God in, in whatever place that he has you? I've I, I got to hurry, but here, here's what he's saying. In verse 13, we, however, will, we're not going to boast beyond measure within the limits of the sphere which God appointed to us in the circle that God gave to us, a circle which especially includes you guys in Corinth. We're not extending ourselves beyond our sphere or upon our circus or our circle, I'm sorry. Thus not reaching you. We're here to reach you. For it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. Not boasting of things beyond measure, 
that is, in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our circle. Now, here's, here's what he's saying. These people who compare themselves to one another, because a church has been planted, because something has happened, because God has sent us here and, and there's groundwork that has, has come in and there's a good work that's come in and started to work. Now these people who are commending themselves to one another, they're coming in and saying, okay, okay, I got it now. I got it now. We don't need Paul anymore. We don't want Paul anymore. He's small, he's ugly, and he has this, this, this funky voice. We don't want to listen to him anymore. We want to listen to me. No, I want to listen to me. Okay, well, us then. You're going to listen to us. But Paul, letters are weighty, but you know what he looks like and what he sounds like. Would you rather have that or us? And Paul's going, they didn't even start this church. They didn't have, God didn't call them to do this. God called me to do this. This is what God called me to do. Now all of a sudden, you've pushed me out. I don't, need, I don't need recommendations from you. I came here when you didn't even know the Lord. I came here, you didn't even know who Christ was. I brought Christ to you. Because that's what God called me to do. You were in our circle of ministry that God had ordained us to be. And here we are. Now somebody else is coming in and building upon our ministry and taking it away. And I can't stand it when people do that. I had a guy that came into our church that did that. He tried to do that at least. Many years ago. Oh, he was married and his secretary was married and pretty soon his secretary and he weren't married anymore, but they were married to one another. He got excommunicated from his church, kicked out. He was no longer the pastor. He's married to this new wife. And he ends up being basically ostracized from every church around. And he would come to our church and he would stand outside the door, outside the glass doors. And he did this for two or three weeks. And I'm thinking, why is this guy out there? And I went out and I talked to him. I said, why are you out here? Why don't you come in? He goes, oh, you, you don't know. You don't know the worst of it. I just, I want to be by God's people, but I can't be in there. I don't lie. And he told me the story. I said, you know, that, that's a pretty ugly story. But you know what? I don't think God's done with you yet. I think God still loves you. I think that there's still a plan for your life. Was there sin? Yes, there was sin. Can you be fixed? God's in the business of fixing people. That you desire to be around his people? Come. I'm not asking you to come on staff. I'm not asking you to even be a part of leadership or anything like that. Just come in and be fed. Be amongst God's people and let me pour into you. He did. For a little while. All of a sudden I find out he's meeting with a bunch of my people behind my back. He calls me into McDonald's one time. Hey, can we go to lunch? He invites me to, to lunch. Takes me to McDonald's. Yeah. Right down here in Cattleman, Bee Ridge. And with just this incredible compassion in his eyes, he goes, I've been there as a pastor. I know what pastors go through. Is there anything ugly that you have in your life that you want to share with me? I'll be here for you. You can, you can, you can share anything you want with me. And God threw a red flag up in my head right then going, this guy is here to steal this church. He got kicked out of his own church 
And he's here to steal this church. And I looked at him. I said, no. He goes, are you sure? I feel like the Lord's maybe sharing. I said, I don't think that's the Lord. And no. I think this lunch is over. And we did. We had a little bit of a kind of a, a, an exodus from our church to go. And, and they never really even followed him. But they followed his words. He came in and he caused discord amongst the brethren. Trying to build upon another man's ministry. Paul says, that's what these guys are doing. We're not doing that. We're not extending ourselves beyond our circle. We're not going out and trying to build on someone else's ministry. In other men's labors, he says there in 15, but having hope that as your faith, who we came to, who was a part of our sphere, but as, as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere. To preach the gospel, here's what our hope and our prayer is, that you would grow to a point where you would then go out and spread Jesus Christ everywhere you go. That's our heart and our hope. I'm not here to build a kingdom for myself. That's not who I am and that's not what I'm about and you guys know that. Unlike some of these other guys that are trying to take over this church, here's what it is. I want you to grow up so you can go out and be witnesses, uh, witnesses of Christ. Not to glory in men. He who glories, he says in verse, you know, in, in, in verse 17, who glories, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. It's not he who commends himself who's approved, but it's the one whom the Lord commends. He's the one who's approved. And God's doing that with us. And I'm not here to defend myself. I'm just here to share what it is that God has for me. But in the, the last couple minutes here, I just want to, I think that this is very important for us to understand. In this, this, the, the very beginning passage of the passage, he says, I, Paul, I'm pleading with you guys by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly, verse 1, who I, I'm lowly in presence among you, but being absent, I, I'm bold towards you in letter. And I, I beg you that when I, when I come to you, I, I may not be bold. I don't want to come and I don't have these contentions to you from the pulpit. By which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. What they're saying is that, oh, Paul is living in the world. Paul's living in the flesh. He's doing, and they're, they're beginning to accuse Paul of being something in the world of which he isn't, much like this fellow did with me. For though we walk in the flesh, he explains himself, for, for though we walk in this flesh, guys, we don't war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So here's, here's what what Paul's saying. He's going, listen, we're not walking according to the flesh. Now we walk, we, we are in the flesh, and we're walking in this fleshly world, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The word carnal there means meat or flesh. You ever get Hormel chili con carne? <laughs> Hormel chili con carne. Carne, carnal. That's where we get our word carnal. Next time you get chili with meat in it, just remember that. Chili with flesh. That's what it is. Hormel chili con with flesh. Flesh. Now you're going to just get it. No beans. Or just beans. No, no flesh. I like, I like 
cow flesh. Here's the thing. He's saying our weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They're not in the flesh. But they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Casting down arguments and every high thing. And and I, I believe that when he's saying casting down arguments, he's referring to these guys that are causing discord, that are trying to confuse the sheep in order to take the church over for them that that God had orchestrated and, and had built and birthed through Paul. These guys are trying to remove Paul from having any verbal, spiritual influence whatsoever. Don't take his words anymore. They're weighty, but he's ugly. and He sounds weird. So let's just disregard him right now. And so the church that he built, us 500 people, we're going to take over you guys now. We're going to start giving you the spiritual word. I'm not saying that it's wrong to have local guys, you know, and that it would would have been a would have been a <laughs> would be would have been a bad thing for Paul to have elders there, which he would, and he did. But these guys are taking over something that God hadn't yet called them to, and they're taking it upon themselves to do. And they're knocking him down in front of the eyes of everybody in order to accomplish it. And he, so Paul says, "Listen, I'm not going to revert to what they're doing." I'm not going to get in the flesh and, and hit them back like that. Our weapons are of our warfare are not in the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down these arguments that are out there, and every high thing that exalts itself like these guys against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so here's, a, here's the last thing that I want to share with you guys, and then I'm going to let you go. But here's the thing. It's pulling down strongholds. There's a few things that Paul can be saying here and, and that Paul is saying here and that Paul that, that we can grab onto and we can walk out of here with great nuggets on. And I hope that this is going to speak to you because I know it spoke to me and this is it. Paul's saying that there are strongholds that are starting to be built up in the church that in this instance, there's a very specific issue that Paul is dealing with, with these men that are taking over the church and, and confusing people and, and doing that. But Paul says, but as Paul is saying this, it doesn't just relate just simply to people. It relates to every aspect of our life. Know this, that when Paul is writing this as Corinthians, it's a letter that's being written to you individually also. When you and I can be speaking, Paul can be speaking to you, not your spouse, not to your friend, not to the person sitting next to you, not to somebody else that you're thinking of right now. God is speaking to you saying, listen, the weapons of your warfare are not in the flesh, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. And here's the thing. You have strongholds in your life. I have strongholds in my life. We all do. We all do. We have struggles. We have issues that, that seem to be big. You might have something in your life. They go, man, if anybody else in this room knew this, they wouldn't have me back in this church. Can I just say, you're amongst a a whole room of people that feel the same way. I can think of nothing more embarrassing than to to stand up here and God say, confess every single thing that goes through your head on a day-by-day basis. You know how I could rid this church of a bunch of seats? I've been doing that. Do you know how I could get you from never coming back to this place? Asking you to come up and do the same. 
Do you really want everyone to know every single deep thing that you think about? Every single deep thing? But here's the thing. Here's, here's the cool thing that Paul's talking about. He says that we are to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Listen, Paul was a guy that lusted. Sorry, he did. Talks about in Romans chapter 6. I would not have known the law. I would not have known that I was breaking the law lest the law would have not said, Thou shalt not covet. Covet means lust. The law came alive and I died. Paul said, man, there's my sin. I lusted. I probably had a problem with it. Romans chapter 7, it moves right into Romans chapter 7. He goes, oh man, the things that I will to do, those are the things that I don't do. The things that I will not to do, those are the very things I practice. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Here, have you ever felt that way with a struggle that you have? with a sin that you have in your life and it's a stronghold in your life and you're sitting there going, man, that it even crosses my mind. I beat myself up over it. Paul says, hey, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I shared it in the song, Overcome. You are not fighting for victory. You're fighting from victory. You're going to win. If you're in Christ, you're gonna, you've already won. You don't have to struggle with these things if we run to Christ. The point is, who is it that you're going to listen to? Who's going to empower you? Who's going to teach you? Who's going to give you vision and direction when you hit those strongholds in your life? I read a story this last week of, of, you know, back in Germany, the turning days of the war. Omaha Beach, Normandy, D-Day. 10,000 soldiers dead on the beach. Our soldiers dead on the beach of Normandy. Because they went against a stronghold. And basically, if we would have been defeated that day, I think the war would have been lost. And I think Germany would have taken over. Not just the own nation, but the world. But wave after wave after wave of soldiers continued to hit the beach and attack the stronghold. And what happened? We know the story. I just, I just saw a story this last week I had never, ever considered. D-Day from the eyes of a German soldier. Now that's interesting. And I watched it. And they, they did a very good portrayal of what was going on. Cockiness at first, and then utter and sheer terror that they wouldn't stop coming. And all of a sudden, breaches to the stronghold started to get taken down. And all of a sudden, planes coming in and blowing them up, and people getting into their bunkers and taking them out. And it just shows this one guy running all over the place trying to find some safety. He was cocky at first, but now the battle's been lost. When we took that stronghold, 
Guess what? Hitler knew he lost. But do you know that the war went on for a, almost a whole nother year? He was fighting in defeat. He knew he was dead. He knew he was done. But he continued to fight. Can I tell you that's exactly what's going on with Satan in your life? When Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. It was finished. Satan knew it's over. There is no hope for victory. Victory has been stolen from my hand. He's done. And so he's fighting from defeat. He knows that he's going to die. Hitler knows that his whole plan is crumbling before his eyes. But he fought to the last very moment that he could fight in rebellion. And it's the same exact thing that Satan is doing in your life and in my life. He knows that he's dead. He knows that his days are done. But he's going to fight until the very last moment. The issue is don't let Satan get you to believe that, that he can win these battles. He, 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 doesn't, he can't win these battles. Not if you're running with Jesus. Not if you are walking with Christ. Not if you're submitting yourself to the Lord. I got an issue with jealousy. Give it over to the Lord. Every thought captive for the excellency of Christ. I got a problem with gossip. Give it over to the Lord. Every thought. Oh, but I gossip a lot. Every single time you're tempted, give it over to the Lord. I got a problem with lust. Give it over to the Lord. I got a problem with greed. I got a problem with power. I got a problem with abuse. I got a problem with a destructive habit. You have no idea how hard these things are for me, Pastor Don. You don't know. No, I don't know what you're dealing with, but I know what I deal with. And I know that other people deal with many things that you deal with. And I know that here's one thing. God has given me the knowledge that in the end I win. Not, not because I did it. It's because Christ did it. And he has given me victory. That's what Paul's saying. The weapons of our warfare, they're not in the flesh, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What's your stronghold in life? Put on the full armor of God, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 6, and then go and, fa- and, and fight. But I don't know how to do that. Well, here's one good way of doing that. And I know that many of you, if you've been here any amount of time, every one of you have probably heard this from me. But here's the thing. You got a problem in your life? Here's something that, I, that had been given to me. I wish I could own it, but I can't. It was given to me. But now I own it because it's something that has proven phenomenal in my life. Not to relegate, you know, Christianity down to a formula, but but here's the thing. When I encounter those strongholds in my life, when I encounter those sins in my life that seem to be so hard for me to overcome, when I am tempted with that, when I have the temptation to come, take that thought captive for the excellency of Christ, I take that to the obedience of Christ, And I take it and go, Lord, this thought's coming across my head. Lord, it's yours. Protect me, Lord. So many times we as Christians, we stand behind the shield of faith, which is a good place to be. It's a great place to be. I'm not advocating not to do that. But when you sit here and you go, oh, an attack is on its way and it's the stronghold. It's Normandy Beach, man. 
they're lobbing out missiles at me and cannon fire and I'm getting hit and oh Lord protect me and oftentimes we hide ourselves behind the shield of faith and that's what we say oh Lord protect me protect me protect me protect me Lord I I don't want to fall I don't want to fall and you boom 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 you keep getting hit from the fiery darts of the evil one Greg Laurie messed up that word one time from the pulpit I'll let you go with that the fiery darts of the evil one. Here's the thing. <laughs> he did. Here's the thing. Instead of hiding behind the shield of faith always, right? you're going to get it. You're going to get attacked. You're going to get attacked. Every day you're going to get attacked. You're going to go, oh, when is this ever going to end? It's never going to end until you see Jesus face to face. Do you know? It's called warfare. Warfare comes at at, at Inopportune times. It comes at any hour of the day. It comes at any moment. And it comes in different uh, uh, strengths of power to take you down. It always does. And it always will. You will never completely overcome spiritual warfare. It's always going to be there. Because Satan, just like the Germans there, he's going to continue to fight until the very last moment. And he's going to continue to try to attack you in areas that you have found been found to be weak at times in your life. And so when you get attacked and you fall behind the shield, first thing, greatest thing, Lord, protect me. I don't want this. I take this, this thought captive to the obedience of you. I know that this is not a thought you want in my head. I know that this is not an action that you want to be portrayed in my life. I'm taking that. Protect me, Lord. But that's where a lot of us as Christians, we stop when in all actuality, the whole armor of God includes... Something else. What, is, what else is it? What, is, what else does it include? A, a what? A sword. What is the sword for? To block off the darts? No. The shield is there to block off the darts. Darts. <laughs> Whew, getting close. Uh, here. The sword is to do what? It's to attack. It's to attack. Gang, listen. Strongholds. Warfare. You're going, to in, you're going to encounter it. Deal with it. Know that it's going to come. Be ready for it when it comes. And attack. Lord, protect me. Take this, these thoughts captive for your obedience, Lord. I know that this isn't what you want. And now, Lord, here's what it is. I'm going to pray for Bert. Because I, I don't know what he's going through right now. But if I'm going through this, I know Bert can possibly be going through this. And I'm praying for Steve. Lord, I lift up Steve to you. I lift up Stephen to you. And and God, I pray, God, right now, you'd give him the strength to get past anything that has come in his way. The strongholds are in his life. And I pray for Ross. And I pray for Steve. He keeps saying Steve. We've got a bunch of Steves in here. Here, I pray for Ross. I I pray for these guys. I pray for these women. I pray for... And and here's what this one fellow said. Instead of just taking on the attack, taking on the, the affront upon yourself, the assault on yourself, take out the sword and pray and attack back and pray for 10 individuals by name by issues that the Lord lays on your heart at that moment and maybe even out loud and you pray for those 10 individuals because here's what's happening fiery darts of the evil one dink 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 okay those are darts 
Here's some nuclear warheads coming back your way. The gates of hell will not prevail against the name of Christ, right? Lord, I'm coming back and I'm asking, Lord, that you'd protect my brothers. I'm praying that you would protect by name. You start naming off these guys and you start doing that. And what's happening is nuclear bombs are going off in hell, completely dismantling years and years of work that Satan and his minions have been doing in the lives of men that you've been praying for or women that you've been praying for. Not only are you attacked, but now you come back. You're hit once. You attack ten times harder. It's warfare, man. It's warfare. I get hit. Boom. You know? It's almost satisfying, isn't it? When I, I'm sorry that I, I find some sense of satisfaction in this, but every once in a while, a, a, a video, a YouTube video will come across my Facebook screen of some bully that's out there and popping off to somebody and sitting there and playing with them and mocking them and, and humiliating them in front of people and, and tagging the guy and doing this. And all of a sudden, the guy goes, bam! And the guy, boom, down, out. I just go, I like this. <laughs> kind of like it. I kind of like that. Why? Why are you bullying this person? That's Satan, man. He's toying with you. He's playing with you like a dead not a dead mouse. You know, notice that cats, they never kill the mouse. They sit there and they play with a half alive mouse because if I kill you, I don't have anything else to play with. And so I'm going to keep you alive. I'm going to sit there and be in a disinterested. You're going to go... That's a cat. He'll just do that to you all day. That's Satan to you and to me. He wants to keep you alive, but he wants to just keep messing you up. Messing you up, messing you up. Here's the thing. He throws a dart at you, block it, and then attack. Now all of a sudden, Satan, he throws a dart. Boom. Ten nuclear missiles coming back down into the gates of hell, just shredding the time and the efforts that he's built up in your life, in other people's lives. And all of a sudden, guess what? Satan begins to get... He's not stupid. He's evil, he's a liar, he's a lot of things, but he's not stupid. Every time I attack Steve, he hits me ten times harder. Hey, minions, calm down on hitting Steve for a little bit, okay? Because the guy is beating us up, okay? He's messing with us, he's destroying years and years and years of work that we've put in these other guys' lives. Are you kidding me? You want me to pray for 10 people? Okay, 15. Pray for 10. Yes, pray for 10 people. Pray for them. I, again, I don't mean to relegate Christianity down to a formula because it's not a formula. The point is, is to go on the attack. Don't just sit behind. We don't have to be defensive. We've already won. Read the very last page of the Bible. You know what it says? We win. In no uncertain terms, that's what it says. Victory. We're going to get there one day. And here's the thing. You're a soldier until you get there because you are in warfare right now. And I am in warfare. And am I going to allow the enemy to dictate my life? Am I going to allow the enemy to dictate my emotions? Am I going to allow the enemy to dictate... My victory in Christ? 
Am I going to allow the enemy to dictate anything in my life anymore? I pray that today has been a revolution to you. A day of revolution to you. Where you recognize that you are fighting from victory, not for victory. The battle's already won. It is finished. Jesus already did it. It's not you doing it. It's Christ in you. The hope and glory. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. That's what God wants to do in your life and in my life. Now, let's do it. Amen? Father, thank you so much for today. I pray, Lord, that this message has hit somebody other than just myself. But if it's just for me, I thank you, Lord, for it. Lord, I need you. We need you. God, we all need you so desperately. We know that you have a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And Lord, forgive us when we are discontented with what we figure is your plan for our life. Forgive us if we ever think that we need more. God, bring us to the place where we say, you know what? If nothing else happens in our life of a blessing, it is enough. That you chose me, that you gave me life eternal is enough. Though the wicked slay me, though the wicked take all away from me, I have you to be thankful for, Lord, because you have given me life. I'm not asking for a tumultuous life. I'm just asking that I please you in the ways that I live my life. I ask that you help me to pull down the strongholds in my life. No longer to run from them and run from the enemy, Lord, but that I would, I would stand up in you and let you fight my battles for me. That I would resist the devil and his ploys and his schemes for you tell me, the book of James, that if I resist the devil, he will flee from me. If I draw near to you, you will draw near to me. And so, Lord, let that be my battle cry for the rest of my life. As a stronghold is revealed in my life, and when the enemy uh, wakes that stronghold to life, may I run to you, Lord, to find protection, that I would take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and recognize that I am in a battle and I'm in a war, not only for my own soul, but for other souls that would be listening to my testimony day in and day out. May my life be reflective of the man or the woman that you desire it to be. May I take those thoughts captive for your obedience, Lord, and may I win these battles. Help me to hide behind the shield, but also help me to wield the sword. Help me to hold up and lift up the arms of my brothers and sisters in here that are struggling with their own strongholds. And if I know how hard it is for the own, my own strongholds in my life, Lord, they have got to have the same pressures in their own life. And so, Lord, I'm going to pray for them because I know how hard it is in my life. And so, God, I'm going to pray for them when I get hit. When a temptation comes my way, I run to you, Lord, for protection and then I will wield the sword and I will pray for my brother. I will pray for a sister. I will pray for ten. I will pray for five. I don't know how many ever, but Lord, I will pray for them individually by name and I will go and I will minister on their behalf. And they won't even know that I'm doing it. 
but the gates of hell will be shaken because I have been protected and I have gone and defended my brothers or my sisters in the spirit realm for that is where the the war is waged for our lives. Today, Lord, we are going to start to fight from victory and not for victory. The victory is already there. We pray, Lord, that you would live through us in a well-pleasing manner, Lord, that would minister and affect so many people's lives. That's exactly what Paul said at the very end of the day. I just want you to grow up so that you can go out and make an impact of the people that God places you in their path so that the gospel, gospel can be shed and spread to the world around you in your circle, in your sphere. May that be from this church, Lord, from every individual in this place. And Lord, if there's anybody here that came here discouraged or is discouraged right now, Lord, I pray that you have placed hope in their life. Maybe there's a stronghold in their life that they're just going, man, I I just can't get over this. Well, Lord, you've just given them the, the ability to do it. You've given them the understanding on how to do it. Now, Lord, let them go out here and live in victory because that's, Lord, what you've guaranteed them, what you've given to them. They don't have to fall. We don't have to fall. I don't have to fall. Not when I run to you. Thank you, God, for loving us that way. Thank you, God, for giving us an avenue of rescue, for giving us an avenue of attack, for having us already understand that the outcome is is sealed and I am on your side and you will win and so I will live in that manner from this day forward Lord God help me to do that help me not to forget help me not to forget God help me not to forget use my life from this day forward in Jesus name thanks for listening. So did Jesus cause a change in you today? Or do you need prayer? We'd love to hear from you. Please contact us by visiting our website at calvarychapelcf.com or call our office at 941-926-3717. That's 941-926-3717. Again, thanks for listening to In the Word with Pastor Don.